Hello and welcome to One Throw at a Time, a player's perspective on the game that builds and breaks our hearts. My name is Johnny Mox and I am joined as always by my co-host, co-conspirator, one of my best friends, Rowan McDonald. Rowan, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing good. Nice evening. Still battling some of the air quality, uh, but, you know, trying trying to make it through. It's been a smoky summer. Um just got through truck last night at, at the limit of the, uh, the air quality, but yeah, another hazy day, but doing all right, feeling good. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. Um, certainly the air quality was, uh, I was feeling that in my throat last night and a little bit this morning. Um, it's pretty, pretty sad and it's like a, it's just fascinating to me how, you know, we're here, like we've talked about, or I feel like folks in the communities that I've kind of moved in since high school and college have been talking about like, you know, we're really going to feel the effects of climate change. And here they are. It seems like we're getting a lot of extreme weather events. And I know for, yeah, East Coast folks and honestly all around the country at this point, I'm getting a lot of wildfire smoke from Canada. So that's on my mind. Um, Other than that, kind of just, you know, making it through the week. We've got a got a short week for us uh, in the AUDL because we we played Philly on Saturday and we'll be playing Toronto on Friday in our last regular season game. So trying to get the body right for that. And yeah, just moving right along, Rome. Yeah, I know that we had a busy weekend uh, before we even dive into that Philadelphia game you alluded to. Did sound like you made a a trip down to Fredericksburg to check out some club ultimate on Sunday? Quick turnaround. Did uh, well, yeah, what time did you get up on Sunday and were you able to watch Scandal and, and Jamie win the championship? Yeah, I definitely was. So it was a really exciting day. Um, didn't get a lot of sleep at all. Uh, probably went to bed around one forty-five, and then woke up at like five forty-five, six to make it down for the first round. Uh, it's about an hour drive and I had to drop our dog off at my parents' house so they could look after her. Um, so had an early morning on Sunday, but was able to make it down to Fredericksburg with coffee in hand and um, got to catch yeah, the first round. Scandal played uh, Chicago Nemesis. And then in the semis, they played Parcha and uh, more folks were kind of congregating at that point. Saw a lot of a lot of teammates and, and folks from around the community, which was great. Uh, and then uh, got to see, yeah, Scandal versus Phoenix, the big matchup in the finals. Big and, showdown, yeah, big rivalry. Yeah, it's a grudge match every time, it seems like, between DC and Raleigh teams, especially uh, this one because, uh, as folks know, Shadow, uh, the, the pro team out of DC, lost to Raleigh Radiance in the semifinals of the PUL Championship in DC. So this was... This was another um, another chance to for for kind of that matchup to happen and um, played out more in DC's favor this time, which I love to see and really loved. Uh, yeah, just being on the sideline, being able to to watch Jamie thrive and support her was uh, was a really nice day. So great, um, yeah, yeah, it was really good. Club season, I guess you know we haven't played a big tournament or even around Robin for for truck stop, but I'm sure going to the complex and seeing. So many teams there. I think like the men's division and the women's division, huge tournament. And honestly, some great teams. Speaking of like Phoenix and Scandal, then on the men's side, Double Wide was there. How, did that get you excited for the club season? Because we're at such an interesting spot in the season where it's the push for pro. Very important time, playoffs on the horizon, but also the emergence of like the real club season. So do you get, do you get the itch for both or is that little still a little bit too much for you to to think about yeah uh i think it's like 
it more just made me, you know, I, I enjoy thinking about Ultimate and it really, it's so fascinating to see like the way the game changes on a club size field versus a pro field and also kind of the way some personnel shake up. Like um, for the most part, like most folks play on the AUDL team uh, and the club team in the same city, but a lot don't. So it was kind of interesting to see some of the opponents that we've been playing all year on various teams, like now playing for another city and whatnot. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was interesting to, to kind of see the, um, see some of the, the men's teams that I know we'd be matching up against probably in just a, a couple weeks, uh, moving into, to us open. And yeah, it did get me excited to play club and just excited to play ultimate. It's a, it's a fun atmosphere at those kinds of tournaments. Uh, I also got to see uh, our old teammate Duncan, uh, who's playing for double wide at, at the classic Fredericksburg Wawa, close to those oh, those public so soccer fun. fields, so um, it was great to see him and uh, got to catch up a little bit during during what was a torrential rain delay in Fredericksburg. And so, apologies to all the teams who came out to beautiful Virginia only to get dumped on on Sunday and get most of their games canceled. Uh, but I'm I'm sure it'll be better next time. Absolutely. And yeah, part of the business. Oh, great, great to hear Duncan's thriving in Austin. Hopefully we see him soon too. Great teammate and probably one of the first true fans of the podcast. I remember him coming up to us after the first or second episode and, and he was uh, he was hooked. He sent us a question in and yeah, um, shout out there. Johnny, one thing I had circled on my notes to talk about in the open today that uh, coincides with the emergence of club season is last night the truck stop 2023 jerseys came in now truck stop is fresh off of the 2022 teals that were a big hit across the division if people don't know by now the main you know not to throw luke you are our good friend luke under the bus we would never do that or musa but the main designer is is johnny mox himself so johnny can you take me personally and the listeners through what it's like to kind of design the club jersey and how you think of how you think they came out this year and maybe we'll throw them up on instagram tomorrow for all of our fans to see yeah i mean i certainly don't want to take anything away from my fellow uh, committee members on the Jersey committee there. Luke is a, is an amazing communicator and certainly carries the weight in terms of those email threads. I send a couple substantial ones. I think Musa sent one this season or a couple uh, regarding just a last minute change, but it's a group effort. Um, usually in terms of ideation, uh, I'm kind of the, the leader there, but uh, otherwise it's all, it's all a, a sounding being a sounding board for one another. So it's a, it's a group effort. Um, yeah, I mean, talking cars about themes the, this year, cars. Yeah, themes. so we are. Where that come from? We're going a little bit uh, cars themed. Of course, we uh, we wanted to get as close as we could without uh, getting sued by Disney or, or having B Ultimate be sued because, of course, that's not what we want. <laughs> um, but uh, the the inspiration there was just like I I really like saying Dynaco baby, um, just because that's like a that's just a fascinating phrase and it just rolls off the tongue really nicely. Dynaco baby. And so Dynaco is on my mind and it's kind of like trucks, truck related, you know, cars, trucks. Um, and so that was kind of the inspiration for the blues, um, which I'm sure folks will see at some point. And then, um, the whites, we just kind of went with like a general more racing theme, um, with the, with the font there. And then, 
uh, on the mud flap, we have like greetings from the District of Columbia, uh, which are which is kind of like a nod to greeting some Radiator Springs in the Cars movie, a little bit of a, a, a deep cut. And then the Reds, which are like, I guess, the alternate jersey that got introduced later. I originally like introduced it as truly like an alternative to the blues if they if they wouldn't be shaping up but we ended up liking both designs Mm -hmm. so much that we decided um with to go with the team pole and the team said three jerseys were okay so then the red is like very much um designed off of the like rusty's um lubricant that uh sponsors lightning mcqueen so uh i was really happy with how the jerseys came out um i think the the shorts really tie it all together and i love kind of uh the the new I love going with new color schemes for um, teams that have historically just been kind of one color. Like I think before the teals truck stop was mostly like a kind of red, uh, black, white, and some blue. Um, and so it was, it was cool to, to kind of mix that up last year. And I think that, um, I think that even though, you know, naturally going to get some hate on the jerseys from teammates, um, it's all in good fun. And I think people will end up like in the way that uh, that the whole team looks bedecked out in these uh, in these kits, row. Absolutely, and it's, it's always fun, like you said, to, to completely switch up the color scheme, go to an early season tournament, and and see what uh, what jersey designs are, are going about. I think that would be a fantastic conversation for you with you know the the designer on some of the other top teams, just to you know just hey respect respect your game. So. Thank you for, for designing that. I'm sure it just took so many hours, which for me as somebody that has no input in the in the jersey design, like I think if you put in all that time, then like however they come out is, is totally fine. So thanks for the work there. Um, with the uh, and also thanks to Musa and Luke in the in the jersey committee. Yeah, and another thing that's really important to note about if you're ever designing jerseys for your team, make sure you think about the few hottest people on the team and how they would look in the jerseys because really that's what's going to matter, you know, like how does Troy Holland, how oh, does AJ Troy's Merriman, good. how do like how do the hottest people on your team look in the jerseys and then you go from there because you know if a really hot person's going to look good in it, they're going to carry some weight for the maybe less hot people. Um, and then it'll all come together. So really go on a hotness scale and like be really superficial and think about, um, think about designing it that way. Pro tip. You heard it here from, from the podcast, but, uh, not to completely swerve away from the club scene. Uh, we had a very, very exciting time in Philadelphia as we always do. Um, so yeah, Johnny, um, first thoughts on, on the game before I, you know, imprint my finger fingerprints onto it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think like it's fascinating to see like how our relationship with kind of perceiving, I think Philadelphia Ultimate in general, um, at least on the men's side, has kind of evolved from when I started playing in 2021 to, or on started playing kind of my, my current stint on the breeze in 2021 to now um, where we used to kind of see them as like, you know, a developing team, developmental team. And then certainly in uh, 2022, they had our number and we kind of squeaked by with two victories that that really came down to the wire one point victories and then another one point uh, win earlier this season. And and I think that certainly by this season and, and certainly by this game, um, we were respecting them, you know, as like as an equal, as an opponent that is worthy of 100% effort even though in my opinion every opponent is 
there's a mental thing that uh, that can kind of get in the way sometimes if you don't uh, experience it, if you don't see it to believe it. And we certainly have. Uh, they play incredible defense and, and are a really tenacious team. Um, and I think match up specifically well with us. So we knew that coming in um, and we yeah. did struggle, uh, especially in the second quarter um, after uh, getting our, our legs under us. I thought we had a, a few early turns, then we're trading and then um, let up let up a lot of breaks there uh, in the in the second quarter uh, to to go down by three at half. And um, at half, I think like it was actually an interesting position to be in because I think when we're up at half, sometimes it's it's uh as a leader it's something to think about in terms of like mentally lapsing and letting the other team get back into the game and this time I wasn't worried at all about that you know because this time we were the team that had nothing to lose and so um I was pretty I was pretty confident in that mindset just because I knew that the offense had to take it point by point and the defense was going to be um you know ramping it up throughout the rest of the game and ramp it up they did I feel like the whole second half it was fascinating to watch our D-line because I had complete confidence in the fact that they were going to make you know the other team's lives hell for for those like two minute possessions or whatever and they really did and they uh, got us back in the game but I think that uh what's fascinating and we ended up we ended up winning an OT, which was a which was a a big, a big victory. Yeah, a big yeah. I mean, we had to uh, we had to survive. You know, a one throw pot. I mean, I, I I'll take one hundred percent responsibility with twenty seconds left in a tie game. We get the FM. They've been playing force middle on us all game. Know it's coming. And when you're really close to the middle of the field, they're forcing you. You know, of course, back to the middle. But a lot of times, you can had this window where you have like a an open side throw. So I thought I had you, and then I just missed the throw badly on on you hate to do it on universe, but uh, a little miscom there. Luckily I believe it was you that got the block at the buzzer to keep us in the game. But yeah, I think I just wanted to double down on yeah something you were saying earlier with the mentality of this game, which is like one of the things that I would use as a teaching point to everybody out there is Years before, we're like, oh, we have this win against Philadelphia. They're up and coming. And lately, it's been like, oh, it's going to be close, but we're going to pull it out at the end. What I thought actually unlocked the ability for us to do that is this was the first game where I felt that we were really focused about ourselves. And Tyler brought that point up to the O-line before the game. where it's just like, let's just be about each other. And then we took that message to the D-line, and I thought the whole team was just like, hey, like we're the breeze here. We don't care about who we're playing, the refs, the fans. And I think that helped unlock us just play our game when it mattered. So hopefully we'll take that mentality into the rest of, of the season. But yeah, overtime win, always exciting. And the only funny story I have was you were getting the Paul Owens matchup. And he's a great defender. He's always on you know, the other team's top player. So one point you were off, and then he comes, guards me off a timeout. And I go up to him, I say, hey, Paul, like, show some respect here. Like, come on, like, uh, you're not guarding me anymore. Um, like, I still got it. And then that point, Andrew pops up a swing, and Paul dunks on me. One point, one block on me. And then I was like, damn. So that was my story from the game, aside from turning it on Universe, but... We got the job done and it was exciting. 
Yeah, it was exciting. And I think that my takeaway from the game and, and from that, that little chat that we just did about it is like um, trying to manufacture that mindset of having nothing to lose from the outset and not having that be dependent on score. Because um, if I am not worried about a mental lapse when I know that we have nothing to lose and going to work our hardest, then why not just try to manufacture that kind of mentality, that kind of um, energy, that kind of mindset from the first point and I think wait way easier said than done um, but it is something that um, that I think the only way to practice it is to feel it in real time and so feeling it in Philadelphia that night I think uh, will help us get closer and certainly you, will help us ramp up for the playoffs did you have any thoughts in that second half when we're like down three early fourth or late third where it like oh like we we essentially can't really get broken again because like it's it's true but like is that a thought that ever runs through your mind does it run through and you just like are okay with it you breathe it out or do you like actively fight that because once or twice I like we I was jogging out to the line I'm like if we get broke on this point like the game is over so I'm not sure like yeah like you were talking about just nothing to lose not letting that that wording and mentality come in, how, how did you handle it? Because it seems like you did a little bit better than me who was like, oh, hopefully we score. Yeah, I think like I just benefit. Well, it's a blessing and a curse, but I'm usually like really nervous before a game and like on the first point. And then I kind of like settle into my groove as the game goes on. So luckily this game, it kind of coincided with when we needed to be our smoothest and most solid version. Um, and I think that sometimes, you know, it doesn't and sometimes it backfires. But I think it's probably just like a, eh, that's just the way my brain works. And uh, once I can kind of get my body going and get that muscle memory uh, continuing, that's kind of what I rely on to carry me through those high pressure moments. Got it. No, yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Rowan, what about the bus? You know, one thing I noticed on the bus was that everyone kind of uh, over the season while we've been traveling uh, assumes, you know, similar positions on the bus in terms of uh, seating. And so like you're kind of usually floating toward the back. AJ's all the way in the back. A-Roy's usually working the crew right in the middle. Same with Jasper, Alexan. Jeff's kind of right on the outside of the cool group, more toward the front me and Kevin are pretty much at the front and then all the coaches and, uh, and, and GM and et cetera are all the way up front. What do you make of this positioning um, and, and kind of what's going on in each place in your opinion? Yeah. I mean, this is, this is why we started the podcast. Yeah. We can talk about the games and the mindset and, and how to, you know, play on the field, but bringing you the behind the scenes on the pro ultimate is, is the reason for the podcast. I think it's fascinating. It, happens on every single team and probably even happens in like middle school and high schools. The bus is, is a hallowed spot and where you sit on it, it's not necessarily a pecking order, but it's more of like a personality thing. AJ does anchor the back. A lot of times there's those three seats and you know he's just chilling back there. I find myself towards the back a little bit, I think because I get on the bus slightly later and I can't find any real estate anywhere else. Uh, I usually am joined by, yeah, like either like a fall or Boxley, maybe three quarters back there. And what I think happens is the middle of the bus is kind of the heart and soul. And that's where the games are going on. Right now, the Breeze are on photo roulette where we get 
10 people in each round. Tyler Monroe with a 10-player photo roulette won five out of six rounds coming back from Philly. Absolutely stunning performance. Uh, if you don't want, if you don't know what that is, basically you all share your uh, camera roll to an app and it picks a picture for each person. It goes up on the screen and you have to race to guess whose camera roll it comes from. It's an amazing game. Highly recommend. So the middle of the bus is like that game. And then you get the spillovers like sometimes me and Box play, sometimes we don't. And on the other side, it's like Jeff, sometimes Jeff and Cole play, sometimes they don't. My whole career from Boston and uh, DC, I've always found myself kind of where I'm at. I've never been front front middle. So I'm fascinated to, to hear what the culture's like up there. Yeah, I think kind of more toward the front. Um, well, the, the, the farther you get from the pack in the middle, the kind of um, less, I think, not like interested, but less like willing to engage in like a lot of energetic uh, banter, etc. Um, I think that's kind of the the phenomenon that goes on. So like you have kind of Jeff and Luke, like that first little bit away from the middle where they're really excited to listen um, and kind of like add a word here and there um, when they can. Um, but they're not like going to be mixing it up like the Alexon, the Jasper, the A-Roy in that middle pod. Um, and then the farther you get away from that, I think you have folks who are reading. Sometimes on Fridays you have folks who are working. Um, and I think that the farther you get away from the middle, um, the more kind of interested in uh, just doing your own thing you are. And so I'm usually a little bit farther away from the middle. I enjoy, you know, getting some pages read. Um, on the bus because I, I really enjoy reading. It soothes me and I find relaxes me for the game. I think sometimes when I've like played Pokemon or video games on the bus or kind of engaged in that middle group, I've found myself a little bit drained um, for the game itself. Mm-hmm. And so I find that like being able to soothe my brain by reading a couple pages, maybe listening to a podcast on the way to Philly, I actually relaced my cleats, which I found very soothing, but kind of just staying out of the fray helps me um, make sure that I'm ready to jump into it when game time starts and not before then. Yeah, all in all, just uh, I would just love to hop on another team or two bus just to see how every ride is. I, I think it would be a cool a cool YouTube series, you know, behind the bus ride, everybody, or one player on each team does a little overview. Um, but yeah, anything else, Johnny, before we head on to our dear shenanigans portion of the pod? No, I don't think so. I mean, before we head on, um, if you've been enjoying what you've been hearing, please head over to patreon.com slash one throw pod, O-N-E-T-H-R-O-W-P-O-D and consider, you know, supporting us with a little bit of your money. We really appreciate it. Um, We've got different tiers and we do those on a per podcast basis, which means uh, we're delivering content for you whenever you do support us. And that's uh, that's the way we like to do it so that there's the most flexibility um, for our community. Rowan, speaking of that community, um, one of our wonderful Patreon subscribers and community members, Ian Gill, sent us a question that inspired today's shenanigans. And that was, if the Breeze had a mascot, you know, similar to, you know, the classic mascots, the Duke Blue Devil, um, you know, what what else are there? 
I mean, on the Carolina train, you know, the, the North Carolina Tar Heels, uh, one that comes to mind that's a classic college mascot is the Syracuse, uh, like big orange dude. I know he has a name, but I, I'm blanking on it right now. Mascots like these, if the Breeze had one of those, what would its name be? And um, what would it look like? You know, what kind of costume would it have? I know I uh, I grew up going to hockey games with my dad and um, the the Washington Capitals have a mascot called Slapshot and he's an eagle and he wears that nice Capitals red jersey. He's number zero. Um, so uh, do you have any ideas for what the Breeze mascot would be? I think I have a couple, but I'd love to hear yours first. Absolutely. Our mascot would be a I would have to go with a dancer um a go-go dancer because many people think that the DC breeze is all about the wind but it's actually paying homage to a breeze metro club which was from Bladensburg DC um go-go music is a big part of the culture of DC and yeah the breeze metro club was a go-to spot for the dance and the live music. So I think if you take kind of a 1980s style go-go dancer, bring him to the field and you have the actual mascot, not the joke that all of our players make disrespecting the history and culture of DC. Yeah, I was going to say that's a culture lesson. Um, You'll see how kind of uneducated I am when you hear my idea is just a big big Tempur-Pedic cloud named Breezy, uh, you know, who goes around with these big gloves, like the gloves almost weigh him down to the ground. It's just a big person in a like blue morph suit and and a cloud on kind of the torso and then has these big, big gloves that are that are Tempur-Pedic, you know, made of uh, made of memory foam. And, uh, if you, if you, uh, see breezy, one of the things that people try to do is they try to run and they try to steal the gloves off of breezy because then, uh, you get to, you know, have a nice cushion for the rest of the game. And so, uh, you know, being breezy would be really important, you know, for the life of the team and, you know, for the energy, but also being breezy means just like really sprinting around with these big, heavy memory foam gloves because people are trying to, you know, tackle you and take them off you. So, you know, similarly engaging, but I'm afraid a little more kitschy than the than the history lesson. But I so. think, I think, and first off, shout out to Nancy Merriman for the history lesson. I, I learned that through her. But while, you know, yours might be a bit more light and fun, it's, it sells, it sells. And, and the ADL is all about selling and, you know, so I think we're going with breezy and that's where we're at in a society where, you know, <laughs> that's what we're taking. It's all about selling Rowan. And, you know, we're going to do the AUDL a favor with the shenanigans and um, thank you, Ian Gill. Again, we're going to just workshop some other AUDL teams, mascots and, you know, see what sticks and maybe the league will, uh, you know, adopt this uh, or some of these moving forward. So I'm just going to go, I'm going to name some teams from around the league um, and we're going to we're going to talk about uh, a little bit what we might think their their mascot could be. So I'm going to start out here in the West Division, Rowan, with the Salt Lake Shred. Uh, any ideas for the mascot on the shred? Absolutely. A, we're going with, you know, an eight pack ab. We're talking about the uh, Mr. Olympia 
A, they're shredded. B, I don't watch too much of the Salt Lake shred out west, but it just seems getting somebody like Joe Merrill, I feel like they're just all shredded and maybe they're just in that, you know, CrossFit first, ultimate second mentality. That's how they play. They just lob it up there and try to make plays. But yeah, we're looking at a probably a a bodybuilder type. Rowan, I think that's an interesting idea. I was thinking uh, maybe a little bit uh, out of the box here, and I'm going to go with uh, just like there's going to be two for the Salt Lake Shred. One is going to be a carton of whole milk, a big carton of whole milk that someone wears, and the other one is going to be, um, you know, an, an, a, a humanoid spinach. So you have we you have milky and you have spin milky and spinach boy, and they're kind of like a they're kind of like a superhero duo. And what they do is they actually, um, they, they fight battles at halftime against their arch nemesis fried chicken man. And so you have milky and the spinach boy fighting these battles against fried chicken man, because you know, you're trying to kind of get these really solid bones and these really, uh, nice iron rich nutrient rich meals and uh, fried chicken man's just bringing temptation, um, and bringing, you know, kind of the, the flabbiness that's not what the shred is about. So I think that's what I would do and kind of create a whole comic book series that then, you know, the franchise can sell and and make even more cash. But I mean, sell, I, sell, yeah, sell. It's all about you, selling. you know it. Yeah. I mean, I would buy a Milky and Spinach Boy comic book, certainly. So get on it, AUDL. I know it's only they taken, had 2,300 fans. So I mean, that thing would sell. Yeah, for real. I mean, I know it's taken like only uh, many years after the the uh the original release date of the video game to kind of get get it back under under uh under the foot but i think that uh milky and and uh and spinach boy uh could be a little bit of a quicker turnaround for for you if you need something in the meantime rowan let's move to the central um i'm gonna go for uh, another kind of one that we could go a lot of different ways with the chicago union what are you thinking for the union i think it's just a group of men and women just, you know, unionizing. But I think it would just be very community-based. You know, Ultimate is a community sport. And instead of having one mascot, let's just have a community of people unionizing. So you and just want to hold, hold like labor meetings at the game. And that's yeah. kind of the mascot too, is like, let's organize our labor and then let's organize on the field and get this dub. Yeah, if there's a lot of fans, then... The kids that want to meet the mascot, they all get some good face-to-face time, maybe even a lesson about unionizing. So I think it's a win for the the union. Uh, is that the direction that you were thinking about, or are you going a different way? Yeah, and I mean, the kids could also learn their rights as workers, which is uh, really important uh, from a young age, especially in our capitalist society. That's that tells you, like, you know, if you're not making money, and you know, if you're if you're doing a job that that maybe um, is a little bit more service oriented, that you're lesser. No, you know, we need to organize and make sure that we are getting. Um, a living wage for everyone in the U.S. especially. Um, what I was thinking, Ron, was another big group of folks, but these folks would be, um, you know, unionizing in that they are entering into holy matrimony. So I'm just thinking like a whole lot of weddings could be, you know, the collective mascot at a Chicago union game. So you have the first half, you know, however, however it's going, either um, a bunch of Chicago fans get married on the field you know, kind of a collective group wedding, a lot of different folks from all walks of life getting married. But if Chicago's losing, then the other team's fans all get to get married. So it's kind of like 
it, it incorporates what's going on in the field into kind of that half halftime ceremony and into the mascot, which I think is a nice interactive way to do yeah, it. Yeah, for both teams too. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so we've got marriage, we've got organized labor, we're really digging into, you know, kind of some of the tenets of society that that we can change in this league and this sport. Um, Ro, one last one I'm going to hit you with here is uh, the Houston Havoc out of the South. I think there are a lot of different ways we could go with this one. Um, Any thoughts off the top of the head? Havoc, wow. Um, Yeah, I just, I don't want to show my ignorance in the weather, but... I just, I think there's a, or maybe it's because I've seen the mascot, but I'm just thinking hurricane. Maybe the H, Houston, Hurricane, Havoc. But the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of Havoc is a major hurricane. And based on Houston's record, maybe a lot of, or their throwing percentage, maybe a lot of windy days down in Houston, dare I say. But um, no, I'm just kidding. I, I love, I love Houston. But I'm going with the hurricane and, um, as the mascot, it would just be your typical hurricane suit that's uh, styrofoam or, or almost like Mr. Breezy, you know, just your 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 generic hurricane costume. That's nice, Ro. Uh, for me, I think I'm thinking Havoc, like flashing lights, like an alarm. And you know how at sometimes at hockey games, they ha- well, all the time at hockey games, when you score, you have that red light that kind of goes around and around. Um, I think that's what it would be, but it would just be a huge version of that, that a person would wear. So you'd have flashy, like after every goal running onto the field, lighting the red light, lighting the lamp and, uh, you know, really spreading that cheer and that joy for the havoc fans. Aren't we all fans of havoc, all fans of chaos. That's why we play, play ultimate and, and listen to this podcast. So Ian, thank you so much for that shenanigans prompt. We had a lot of fun doing it. Um, now we're going to move on to some listener questions which rowan our community came through we are not going to go on strike because we got uh, seven different email questions this week which we really appreciate i think we'll probably try to attack three and then get through the rest in future weeks but thanks again folks in the community we really appreciate you listening and engaging with us here yeah i gotta i gotta you know i as somebody i was a little strict last night calling or last week calling our our, our fans out and our listeners, but I do have to give credit where credit is due. Thanks for all the emails. This is stuff we love doing and yeah, keep sending them in. Yeah. I uh, couldn't have said it better, Ro. This first question is from one of our amazing Patreon subscribers who we got to meet this season, Zach Smith. Uh, Zach Smith says, uh, when he came up in college, it felt like with enough work, most players could drag themselves into the elite scene just by working hard and um, kind of, you know, meeting the right people if that's what they wanted. Um, He's asking now, do we think we're moving away from that with the rise of excellent youth ultimate, specifically in the US, but also abroad? How close are we to an era of ultimate in which the average person starting out in college will have no chance to play elite ultimate, given, you know, the plethora of talented players uh, that are coming up and kind of starting at a younger age? Uh, Rowan, any thoughts on this? I think it's a really fascinating question. Yeah, yeah, this is a great question. This is stuff that, oof, yeah, we could talk about forever. But, you know, just because we brought him up earlier today, you know, Luke, our teammate, Luke Refus, um, didn't play college. Ultimate instead, he was a college sprinter, 400, 200, 400 hurdles. And um, people coming in with an athletic ceiling that's just higher than the 
the average in ultimate, I think have a great chance at making roster. So I, I don't think it's all, um, you know, necessarily you have to play at the youth level at all. I think if you have a specific skill set, whether that's you're a very smart player, it's not just physical attributes. There's a lot of mental stuff that goes into ultimate. If you are a specialist in one area, there are still ways that you can practice one thing and have a good chance at making it. I think a lot of the college and youth really good players are just like good at everything. So, wow, this player is throwing full field forehands, backhands, they're poaching. I think people that are very good at everything are going to have a harder time making top teams. And I think you're going to have to be excellent or like world-class in one particular area. And that's, what's great about the sport. It's a team sport. So yeah, I think the, the player that's good at everything is not just going to be able to walk on to teams anymore. And I think you're going to have to bring something extra to the table or be very, very, very good at everything. Um, Johnny. That's fascinating, Ro. Do you think that, uh, let me, let me kind of press on this one point before I give my answer. And that is when do you think, you know, the time will come when even if you're a really good athlete, even if you're like, you know, a college sprinter, et cetera, um, just a couple of years of playing won't get you to the elite levels in ultimate. Cause I think it's pretty far away. What do you think? In today's game, I think you can take a very athletic player and get them into a nationals level club team pretty quickly. Um, because what it comes with that level of experience in other sports is coachability, you know, uh, effort, you know, the training regimen. So when you flip that and you start working on your ultimate training, which is something that I preach, I think people that cross over from other sports are going to pick that up naturally. So I think that a lot of the attributes of somebody that's like, you know, uh, another sport star or a college athlete in a different realm not just the athleticism is what makes them great, but the reason that they got to that spot in the first place, if they apply it to ultimate and put in the work, they're going to hop on a, a nationals team in no time. Yeah. I think it's a, I think, you know, to kind of answer my own question there and uh, extrapolating from what, from what you said, I think it's definitely a long way off. Like if I had to give a number of years, I would say like the time when you can be a really good athlete and not, you know, transfer over to ultimate and be able to make, you know, an elite level club team in a, in a few years is like probably 50 years off or, or something. Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's kind of just like, if you, and I, and I think there's nuance here, you know, like I think totally. there are players that starting really young at a youth level and need to do that in order to, you know, make those elite club teams because they're able to then find the specialization that's maybe a little bit more outside of the box than, you know, an incredible athlete who's able to kind of, you know, excel in any sport, finds ultimate a little bit later in their life and excels in that sport, you know. So you can kind of come at it from both ways. I do think that for specialized players, like for instance, a really specialized thrower, um, those are going to be half have to start earlier and earlier as the level rises and so i think that that day is coming where you know you can be a pretty good thrower and if you're just a pretty good thrower you're not going to make an elite level club team if you're a superior thrower you'll make it on throwing 
Um, but there are very few like superior throwers, I think, unless, you know, you're starting early. And so and the two sides of superior throwing are really important to this question and topic, because if you look back at our Jimmy Mickle interview, I think it was like episode like in the 30s, if I had to guess, he talks about one of the only reasons that he thinks he's like the center handler on Team USA for like the last seven years is because he was not only good at like physically throwing a disc, but he had reps in big situations. He did next gen. He did big college games. He did club games. So he had game experience on hucking when it mattered. And that's something that you're kind of bringing up and is very important where the kid that's coming up in ultimate great thrower, but also has played the YCC championship under pressure, making breaks and hucking it. Like that player is going to be the center handler on a club team. It's going to be hard for like a great athlete who can throw at 90 yards to come be, be in that position. Yeah, exactly right. So there's, there's nuance here. I still think that we're not quite at that level where you need to start, you know, any younger than college, certainly. And you can even start after college uh, to make those elite level club teams. Um, Unless, of course, we're talking about areas of specialization that require that kind of uh, that that uh, more nuanced skill. So great question, Zach. Uh, thanks for asking it. Our next question here is from Austin. Austin, thanks so much for writing in. Austin says, historically, the club division has garnered more respect than the AUDL. These days, the top teams in both organizations are largely the same. Uh, the AUDL has more organizational support and spotlights some younger players that may have a difficult time breaking into or financing top club play. Uh, Austin asks, which org do you think is currently better um, at the top and has more depth? And in five years, where will they stand? Rowan, I know you have a lot of thoughts on this, so I'm going to give you the floor just to answer Austin's question quickly. Um, I think that currently uh, club is still, you know, has more depth of players, more players play club because as Austin said, um, there's even though both orgs uh, are largely the same in terms of the majority of cities a lot of the top players are playing both um you still have cities as austin points out in his kind of elongated question that i didn't read you still have cities like seattle san francisco and portland where notable holdouts and sort of these great players don't play audl but are playing club and since most of the other players who are playing audl are also playing club i think there's a little more depth of talent in club currently And in five years, I think that's going to continue to shift. I think it'll still probably stay the same, but I think the AUDL is gaining on club specifically because of this idea that Austin brought up with, um, you know, a lot of really good players, a lot of really incredible athletes not being able to finance top club play or wanting to pick one or the other because it is a really long season and and uh, the the AUDL or the pro game is is free, you know, that's kind of the main perk, but also you get some money from it. And I think a lot of folks are going to be inspired by, you know, teammates of mine, like Rowan, like AJ Merriman, who are trying to do um, ultimate more full time and, and will make that switch. So Ro, what do you think? I know you, you enjoy questions like this. Yeah, no, totally. And I think you were, were pretty right. I think at this point, um, just to use the breeze for an example, it's, um, yeah, we want to win a championship. Uh, you know, we want to win the East. So what do we do? We look around the city and we say, well, the best players mostly are truck stop and, and vault. And our roster is consists of a lot of those players. Uh, 
where I see the change happening is definitely has to do with, with some of the financials is right now, everybody that plays ultimate mostly in, I mean, in pro and club, like there's our exceptions are people that just have a couple thousand dollars to spare on their hobby. And, and it turns into more of a hobby because we put our heart and soul into this thing. And, you know, I think it's a good investment. That's why I've done it the last eight years. However, I think the pro should split and club should split and pro should entice people that don't have, or they can, but they don't have to have all that side money to play the club and amateur travel. And then they can start to pull in what we just talked about in the last question. And that's maybe some D1 athletes that their career has ended and now they, you know, they can't go play in the NFL or MLB or NBA. So ADL local team throws $10,000 a year at these players. And all of a sudden, boom, it's a completely different demographic. It's more affordable. And that's where I would see the sport kind of growing. So I think right now pro teams, uh, really get really helped out by having the top club players. And I think our local pro team is doing such a great job of treating the players that they're enjoying the ride. They're enjoying the competition. So I think as long as your local owner is really cool, like helpful, supportive, I think that you're going to get them. So I don't know, maybe the other cities, they don't have that support or I don't know. And that's why they're holding out. But for us, we do it right, I think. I think a um, big group of us uh, buy in really hard in the pro game, and we really want to win there. And then we flip over to the club seasons and do the exact same thing. So, yeah, I think right now it's, it is a club-dominated sport, and the pro teams that want to win, I think, have to entice those club players and the future is there's a split and the club players play club and the new people that want to either make it a profession or a side hustle or compensated uh, play the pro game. So uh, I'm excited to see the, the future. I'll probably hang on to the club game a little bit longer, but I would probably phase out into the pro only category soon as my body gets old. And that's, you know, that's my future. That's my job. That's kind of helps my brand and helps me travel and coach. So that's where I will be longer. Yeah. Great answer, Rob. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll hit up one more, uh, from Calvin, our listener, Calvin. Thank you so much for writing Calvin. Uh, he says playing on youth teams and now club teams. Um, he just has filled into different positions, uh, that kind of need to be filled on the team whenever, you know, however that comes into play. So he's been a handler. He's been a cutter. Uh, his question is, uh, do we think he should limit himself to focusing on just one thing, kind of going into that specialization vein so that he can make a roster with a specific role in mind, you know, thinking of making rosters, uh, on these more elite teams or is it appealing from a leadership perspective to have someone who is willing to do anything the team might need and slot into different roles? I think it's a really interesting question, Rowan, and I'll let you take the first stab at it. Having been, you know, a captain at at a at the elite club level, 
um, before and my not having that experience. What do you think uh, folks are looking for uh, in these tryout processes, but also just across the year on teams? Um, do you think that having that specialization gives newer players uh, a better angle to make the team? Or do you think that being able to do it all and kind of listing oneself as a hybrid uh, kind of gives an edge? Um, I, I first off promote being as good as you can at everything, but, uh, I do think going in with, Hey, like, this is what I do. This is how I'm going to help you win games is very advantageous to like, to the leadership, you know, even for me this year, like didn't have to worry about trying out so much, but I started off on D line. I was like, okay, like this is where I think I can help the team. And then, I kind of got into like I was guarding handlers because we didn't have that many D-line handlers. We had a lot of great downfield defenders. And so I'm playing on these like squirrely guys and it's just I'm kind of doing it to help the team out because that's the position that needed. But it was out of 10 things in ultimate, it's probably like ninth or 10th on my list. So I personally felt, oh, like I, I'm kind of helping the team taking this role. But I was nowhere near the impact player I could be if I was put into one of my specialty roles. So it it is cool to help the team and it's a very good feeling. But I think from it, like I have the benefit of the doubt because I don't know, I could switch. I did switch. And I don't know if I would recommend just like anybody to do that because you're not gonna look as good or maybe you hurt your chances of making the team or getting playing time. So but what about you, Johnny? Yeah, I think what I would recommend to this question specifically is like, Calvin, if you've spent, you know, your entire ultimate career coming up and just doing whatever, uh, you know, the team needed, I would, you know, do a little bit of introspection and think about not only what you're best at, but what you enjoy doing on the field tailoring your game to that position and then once you have those core skills tuned up to a point that you feel comfortable um, you can work on skills outside of that and still bring a complete game so for instance like I'm obviously um, very much touted or very much like seen as a handler like a pretty pure handler and so I know that I can, you know, keep my throws tuned up to a level that I want them. But then also in my free time when I'm working out on the field or just, you know, going out and practicing moves, I can practice some more downfield, rangier, um, you know, moves or cuts or uh, the way of thinking about the game downfield a little bit more, adding that to the toolkit. And then I'm not just, you know, a hybrid who can do whatever, but I'm, you know, a pure handler who also has downfield skills or who also has like this good, you know, defensive footwork in my toolkit. And so that's what I would think of. I would think of kind of building your core move set for lack of a better term, if we're talking video games and then reaching outside of it for little pieces of your game that you want to bring in. Um, and I think that will not only help make it a, a, a more seamless experience when you're training, but it will also be able to help you communicate to teams that you're trying out with like, hey, I like to be, you know, a D-line cutter, but I can also, you know, be a handler when we need a little bit more firepower around the disc, etc. So or on the turn. And so I think that uh, that's the way I would approach it. Um, and I think that that helps at least me streamline my training process and and the way I think about the game. Great. Well, thank you so much for writing in, folks. We have more questions that we will address next week. Um, as far as our Patreon shoutouts go, 
Um, we love shouting out our wonderful Patreon community. Of course, our evergreen shout outs. We've got a couple of anonymouses who we love, Zach Smith and GU Serena Juan. Thank you so much for being our subscribers and our official members of the One Throw Pod community. Rowan flying high in the One Throw Sky this week. We've got two entities. The first is DC Scandal for winning PEC. Incredible performance. It was really fun to watch. We alluded to it at the beginning of the show, but bringing glory back to the district. We love it and we can't wait to, you know, go to more tournaments with you and cheer you on for the rest of the season. Also, Rowan, number 45, episode 45. Flying high in the one throw sky this week is Jeff Wodach, an incredible staple of the DC Ultimate community, a beloved teammate, Jeff. This one goes out to you. Any parting words for the folks, Rowan, before I cap it off with a little bit of info about where they can connect with us? No final words. Really happy with this episode. Thanks, as always, to our listeners, especially with those questions. A bounce back episode for you. This one is for the listener. Yep, we love it. If you enjoyed what you heard, feel free to head on over to patreon.com slash one throw pod, O-N-E-T-H-R-W-P-O-D. We really appreciate you signing up and supporting us monetarily there. Um, If you don't want to put your money behind the pod, we totally understand. Hit us up on Instagram. Give us a follow at one throw pod and do keep sending in your questions to onethrowpod at gmail.com. We will see you next week. We love you. Thank you. Bye.